The Holy Gospel according to St. Luke. Glory to you, O Lord. Now large crowds were traveling with Jesus, and he turned to them and said, Whoever comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, and even life itself, cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not carry the cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. For which of you intending to build a tower does not first sit down and estimate the cost to see whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish All who see it will begin to ridicule him, saying, This fellow began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king, going out to wage war against another king, will not sit down first and consider whether he is able with 10,000 to oppose the one who comes against him with 20,000? If he cannot, then, while the other is still far away, he sends a delegation and asks for the terms of peace. So therefore, none of you can become my disciple if you do not give up all of your possessions. The Gospel of our Lord. Praise Praise to you, O Christ. may be seated. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, that was a doozy, <laughs> right? Well, that's one of those passages where you're, you know, ooh, what did Jesus just command us? <laughs> I don't know about you, but when I was reading through that this week, uh, I, you know, I found that last line to, to come out of nowhere, right? Yeah, you know, all this talk about, uh, you know, taking up your cross, following Jesus, counting the cost, uh, and then, you know, seems to, almost out of nowhere, come this verse that says, uh, if you don't give up all your possessions, you can't be my disciple. It seems to just blindside us. And then I was reflecting that, why is it that that, verse sticks out to me so much more than the other ones. Why is it that I'm more concerned about losing my possessions than Jesus' words about hating my family members? What's this language of hating my family members? Doesn't Jesus want us to love our neighbor? Honor our father and mother? This is A tough word. Well, let's start at the beginning there. This language of hate. What is Jesus asking us to do? What is he really demanding of us? If we would be his disciples, must we hate our parents, our children, our spouse, our siblings? Jesus says you must hate them. Let's remember, though, that hate 
has its opposite, not in like or feel-good feelings toward, but love. Now, we conflate love with feeling-good feelings toward or liking, but love, as the scriptures talk about it, isn't primarily a feeling, it's an action to act for the benefit of, to act in service to. So Jesus isn't saying you need to you know, feel nasty feelings <laughs> towards your close family members. Jesus is contrasting love and, and service to our parents with the love of, and service to the Lord. He's saying, who do you love most of all? And he gives this list of people that compete for the love that we should only have for God. Now, I guess that takes a little of the pressure off, right? That we don't have to feel horrible feelings toward our close family members. But it's still a hard word. Aren't we supposed to serve our neighbor? Yes, yes we are. But when service to your neighbor, when love of your neighbor comes into conflict with love of God, obeying God, Jesus says you have to choose God rather than yourself. God rather than your neighbor. Now, maybe an illustration is helpful here, right? You know, the scriptures are full of stories where people do awful things in the name of love of their family members or love or obedience to those who are in authority over them, parents or other things. In uh, our study of Genesis this summer, we studied a rather dark story about uh, a city of Canaanites who uh, did physical violence uh, to uh, one of the sisters of the sons of Jacob. And two of her brothers take it upon themselves to trick and then kill every last male member of the city in which the perpetrator of that crime lived. In love of their sister, they committed an abominable act. God says, this is not in line with love of me. Or look at the New Testament. When Peter and John are preaching Christ crucified and risen from the dead. And those who are in authority over them come and say, you must stop preaching this way. Rather than obey those who are 
in authority over us, as we are commanded to do time and time again in Scripture, Peter and John say, we must obey God rather than men. So do to us what you must. If it means that we have to die according to the laws of the land, so be it. But we must obey God rather than men. They weren't trying to save their own skins. They were trying to obey God. Now I invite you to consider in your own life these really difficult questions. Where in your life do you find yourself tempted to sideline God's word and God's will for your life for the sake of those who are close to you? I can think of examples that I've heard of, of spouses who say, I would be in church, or I would be in church more regularly, or I would serve in this ministry for which I have gifts, or I would give of myself more fully if it wasn't for my spouse. My spouse doesn't want me to do this. You have to sort out in that how much of that is, uh, you know, uh, God's call upon your life and discern is God calling me to this thing? Uh, and, uh, you know, if it's something like coming to worship to receive the sacrament and your spouse is saying to you, you must not do this. I want you to be at home. I want us to have our family time. I want us to be able to uh, go away for the weekends or whatever it is. And you are thinking to yourself, I haven't been to receive the sacrament in months. Well, you know, it may be that God is calling you to say, I love you, but I love God more. Now that's hard. It often is the case these days that children's sports and, uh, and musical and arts activities and other civic club activities happen when the church gathers for worship on Sunday morning. And though we involve our children in these activities out of love for them, wanting to expose them to uh, the opportunities maybe that we didn't even get to enjoy, or maybe that we did and we want them to enjoy it too, out of love for them we, we do these things, and yet, how are we catechizing our children our grandchildren. What are they growing up in? What is the true way to love them, really? To bring them here. Yeah, they may not experience that as, as the loving thing, right? Especially if they're the ones who really want to do that sport or activity. Jesus says... Yeah, even if it causes conflict in your house and your kid goes, you know, 
kicking and screaming to church on Sunday morning, (laughs) complaining the whole way. We must obey God rather than men. I've looked in vain for it. I cannot find it anywhere. But uh, I uh, remember distinctly a, a story that was told in a sermon uh, when I was growing up. There was a seminarian who came and who preached this uh, sermon about, uh, and used as an illustration, a story about this family uh, or the, this community in Reformation era Germany that they lived in a, in a principality, a, a, a geographical area in which the prince was Roman Catholic. And they were Lutherans, this little congregation of Lutherans in this Roman Catholic area. And the rule that was given from the emperor, a, a peace treaty that had been signed to stop war, had said, if you live in an area where your prince is Roman Catholic, then guess what? <laughs> You're Roman Catholic. And if you live in an area where the prince is Lutheran, then guess what? You're Lutheran. And uh, this was the law of the land. And this community of people, Lutherans in this Roman Catholic province, decided that they were going to get up and leave. And they were going to move, uproot themselves from their community, and go to a land where the prince believed as they did so that they could worship as they believed the Lord was leading them to worship. And while that might be common enough an idea, uh, you can even think to the founding of this country and the pilgrims doing much the same thing, leaving a king who told them they must worship that way in their own land so that they could come and worship as they felt God was calling them to. But here is the difference in the story. In this particular instance, the prince of the land said, you can leave, but your children have to stay. Now, what would you do in that situation? I don't know what I would do. That's a hard call. Do you stay so you can be near your kids, nurture them, care for them, love them? This community chose to leave. They left their kids. For they said, what kind of a witness would it be if we bowed the knee to this thing that we felt was not God's will solely out of love for them? We would be confessing to those children that we loved them more than we loved God. Thankfully, you and I are not called to make that kind of a decision. (laughs) But every day is set before us, as Moses frames it, life and death. Life being the way in which God would have us live, death being anything else. 
And it's made not in giant decisions like that, but in the minutia of life. Whenever we choose self, or even our neighbor, over God. Now often, service of neighbor is very much aligned with God. In fact, that's why this seems so outrageous almost to us, incongruent even with the rest of what Jesus says about loving your neighbor, right? I mean, the scriptures are filled with that. So we have to keep it in balance. It's really talking about those moments when those things come into conflict. As we do that, how do we make those decisions? How do we count the cost? I think it helps to remember who it is that spoke these words to us and where he is at in the context in which he spoke them. Jesus has fixed his eyes on Jerusalem where he will give of his life for the sake of the world. And I'm sure there are a thousand ways in which Jesus, according to his humanity, according to the temptations that he faced that are not unlike those that we face, but are common to us all, ways in which he could have been tempted to justify not going to the cross. Can't I serve you much more, Father, by setting up an earthly kingdom here, by feeding the poor, healing those who are diseased, rooting out all oppression and violence in the world? Wouldn't that serve your cause much greater than my death? I'm sure even the disciples would be on board with that, as we know they were. Lord, this must never happen to you, Peter says. And yet, that same Peter is the one who confessed we must, we must obey God rather than men. How did he get to that place where he was willing to die for the sake of God's will in his life? He had been caught by the love, the sacrificial love of Jesus, his Lord, his King, who counted the cost of the warfare in which he was engaged. And though he knew he would die, knew that this was God's will and that he would win the victory and on the third day rise. So Jesus embraced the cross, embraced the difficult decision that didn't seem like love to those who felt abandoned by him until they saw it all come to the fullness of God's plan. When God asks us, demands of us to do the hard thing, to take up our cross and follow him, to deny self, and even to deny the will of our 
best loved family members, it is because he has for us something even greater in store. Blessings beyond which we can even imagine. We do not enter into these things lightly. We count the cost. We pray and pray that God would give us grace when we discern wrongly what his will is and how to live out this life of discipleship. And that grace is abundant. He claimed us through that self-same death and resurrection so that you and I might live in freedom, trusting in his grace. So as we make those difficult decisions, life and death decisions, on a daily basis this week, do so in prayer, but also in confidence, knowing the Lord who asks you, demands of you obedience, but who also bestows on you blessings beyond all imagining. In the name of Jesus, amen.